1: Saturday morning and here come the girls Ray and Faye with Let's Talk Gardening
0: Yeah, here we all are. Faye welcome
2: back. Oh, thank you Ray
0: yeah. Thank you. Yeah and thanking George Manning and Mark Carlton for the Vibe Breakfast Show and Jim Crinan for his cycling chat. And Jim will be back at ten o'clock for the classic seventies, something to look forward to. But right now we're looking forward to two hours of gardening chat. We sure
2: are, and I bet you loving that weather out there, Ray. Well, it's it's certainly if it's got a two in front of it, I'm I'm happy. Yeah. Oh, and I heard this morning that Bridgetown
0: got down to about five. Degrees. I heard that, and I thought I'm moving to Bridgetown. I thought yeah, you might I be. I did. I thought right, that's where I want to be. Oh,
3: oh I wouldn't mind you. What know. a change! Great
0: gardening down there. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, but it is it is hiking back up to I think thirty seven by next Friday. So I'm not getting too carried away. Well, but I'll take whatever I can get, like as if I can change
2: it. Right. We've had some <laughs> very warm weather interspersed with rain and no, humidity and the no. gardens are just thriving jumping for joy aren't yeah, they they really
0: are yeah oh. so no things are are popping out there yeah mm. for sure
2: lots happening in the garden and I, I was having a wander around the other day and looking at at uh what what time of the year it is and i thought there's so much to do it's like time to get ready to put your garlic in If you've got everlasting seeds, get them out of the cupboard. It's time for them to go in the ground just about. You know, we've had those first rains. So people actually might find that seeds uh, that would normally be planted in autumn are starting to pop up now. But just keep an eye on them because with all the rain that we've had, if it has triggered germination and we get dry weather following this, Mm. you just might need to keep your eye on it yeah, and keep the and moisture up to supplement it because it. the roots won't be very big
0: yeah so we've had 39.2 mil of rain in March so far so that's not too bad and where are we just a little over or just about halfway through really aren't we mm. 13th so yeah Bring it on, yeah! And uh, have you you haven't voted, Fay?
2: No, not yet. Okay. Oh, I'll add so that to my list
0: of to do. <laughs> oh. I did it during the week, and it feels great not having to worry today because I'm going to get into my garden. Today, uh, I haven't had a chance to get into my garden for weeks, and I'm not exaggerating. And if anyone even tries to distract me, right. they'll get a pitchfork or something, or a shovel or something. <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah, so I cannot wait to uh, spend uh, this weekend. And what are you gardening. going to do? Have you got products? Uh, ready? I've got some, you know, different things I'd like to do, but it, I like to go around and just look at plants and go, you know, okay, what do you need? Mm. And, and just instead of trying to do a massive, blanketing gardening I like to just you know starting one by one one. Corner. I, yeah I do I really do and it needs it it needs it and things have just been you know looking after themselves relatively
2: yeah absolutely well a lot of people want to know when to prune this or when to prune that and remember that I will often say the best time to prune something or give it a trim is after it's finished flowering. Yeah. Now a lot of things have finished their flowering now. Mm. You might have daisies or lavender that are looking a bit shabby. Get out there, now's the time to do it.
0: And okay with the you know, the thirty sevens and that coming up. That well, I, always, the, I guess that's something that does slow me down as I keep watching the weather forecast thinking. Well, don't you
2: know. do it on a hot day. Yeah. Um you know the thing about If we do happen to get to a 37 during the day, if it's a humid 37, uh, that's different to a dry 37. It sure is. But it's compensated by these cool night temperatures. You know, the plants don't suffer so much. Yeah, no, you are correct. Not that I've had really noticed cool night temperatures
0: because I think even on the weather report, they said that our night temperatures were record level highs. Mm, So, yes, Faye.
4: (laughs) I have a different
0: barometer. I I think last night was a little cooler and I loved it. Yeah, so we're slipping down to about, is it 14 overnight? Let me see what what I... Oh, it's it's good sleeping weather. I know that. I know. I was sound asleep when the alarm went off this morning, Mm. actually, and I think I still would be if I was left to my (laughs) own resources. All right, 94841927. Let's talk about who we are speaking to today. We have Justin Leader from Grass Trees Australia. I love grass trees, and I wanted one in my garden. And Darren said, "Oh, just too hard. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's well, just not worth it." Because well, I think the 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 ratio of survival, maybe for you know layman garden pe- people like myself, is not high. Oh. But, so I'd love to know more,
2: but I well, I wanted one in my if garden. If you look around the streets, there. Mm. People who have transplanted them, yeah, there are some beautiful specimens successful around there. But this examples. was inspired by Kerry, who I spoke to the other day. Now I hope, I hope we don't make her late for her zumba class when she's listening in. Uh, she has transplanted or had uh, two or three transplanted into her garden, right? And they're doing; they have been doing quite well. But there's a, a bit of scale, and one isn't doing so well. But as Justin would say, they're native plants. So once they're established well, I'll let him to talk talk about Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He comes on.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. So that's at twenty past eight and our studio guest Today are Mike and Mandy Bamford from Bamford Eco Consulting and we're talking about how to bring birds in the garden and it's a great subject and they will be joining us in the studio so yeah that'll be wonderful save up your questions for anything that you'd like to know about how we attract and create the right habitat to bring uh, the wildlife into our gardens.
2: Well, there's plenty around at the moment. Yeah. I was woken up well, I was woken up by a hooning car the other morning at twenty past five. Mm. Not happy about that. But no. couldn't get back to sleep because then mm. the birds started up <laughs> and you could hear this chorus of the yeah. waddle birds. There'd been the the rainbow bee eaters. I'm still hearing a couple of those around. And uh, then there'll be the ravens and the magpies, the willy wagtails, and then the blue wrens have started moving around. So it's, the garden is just alive and mm. full of birds. Mm. And there's a lot of little bugs moving around too. Mm-hmm. There's the odd aphid. And so we mm. get the little birds coming through and having a feed. Mm. Yeah, no, It's, oh, it's, it's just wonderful. a beautiful time to be and in the garden. And do you
0: think with the humidity that we've had, which has just been. For me, i thought it's just been uh, huge. Do you think there'll be any repercussions of that in the garden with the rain and heat and humidity?
2: Well, a lot of plants really love it, Ray. Yeah, tropical you know, plants really get off it. Tropical plants. <laughs> um, or, I don't, by the or way. plants yeah. growing in tropical areas get moisture yeah. through their leaves like yeah. like we do. You, well, yeah, the, the humidity is a bit funny, isn't it? But... Um, For plants, it can bring on fungal diseases. That's my concern. So keep an eye out for that. Mm. Uh, But, well, we can't do much about that. Mm. We can't change the weather. We might as well just take the benefits. A lot of plants will just be loving the moisture in the
0: air. Yeah, okay. Now, we've got a few emails. We might as well crack through a
2: couple of those. We have. Actually, one came in last week from Keith in Mindari. And he has a wisteria that's growing up some lattice. Mm. And he's, he sent a picture of the stem which has flattened. It's become flattened and ribbed. And the shoots are coming out of the side of that. It's fasciating. It's fascinating, right? It's a process called fasciation. Fascia- fasciation. And mm-hmm. Experts are not really sure about what causes it. It could be a hormonal imbalance, but it's an interruption to the way plants normally grow. Mm. And and what causes in, it? Well, they, they don't, don't know. exactly know. But it happens and it's quite rare, but also prized amongst cactus or succulent enthusiasts because it is known as cresting. So a plant that does this forms a crest or is known as a crest and is highly prized so mm. it's it's interesting I've seen, it I've seen it on silverbeet i've seen it in succulents um i hadn't seen it on a wisteria before oh. but i i wouldn't do anything about it i would just enjoy it and see what else comes from it yeah exactly and
0: today's gardening program is sponsored by safety bay settlements settling and transferring properties across wa since 1977 okay now we
2: do have free
0: lines <laughs> we do have free lines if you'd like to call in yes it is quiet maybe they're out voting for what do you think
2: well they might be voting booths everybody I tell you what, Ray, most of our listeners, I can almost guarantee you, will not be voting between 8 and 10. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, you're, uh, you're sure of things, aren't you? <laughs> well, you know, there are people out there that really look forward to their Saturday morning Gardening fix, and I know. Gail, here is one of them. She has written in and, and thanks us because she really enjoys her two hours on a Saturday morning, always learning something new to help in the garden, thanks to all the team. But she has a friend who has a a plant that she's attached the photo of and believes it is poisonous. Actually, she sent yeah. in a photo of what a lot of people would think is a stunning, prized uh, Brugmansia. It,
0: it's, it's beautiful to look at. It really it, is. It is. Classical
2: and there are many of them around now, and a mm. lot of people love these plants, love collecting these plants, Yes, want the different colours. This is a beautiful apricot one, and the flowers are uh, trumpet-shaped and they hang down clustered. It is a beautiful specimen, girl. And we do have many plants that are toxic or poisonous in our garden.
0: Certainly do. If we're mm. aware
2: of that uh, and keep them away from... Perhaps areas where, you know, the, the fragrance might come while we're entertaining. Mm. You know, just be aware of the risk. All parts of this plant are toxic. So if you are dealing with it and she asks about removing it, yeah. you would wear gloves and protect your eyes yeah, definitely. and skin as well. And cover um, your m- mouth, nose. Mm. Yeah. Well, as, as much as you can, really, mm. because... If you get the sap on you and you wipe it through your eyes it can cause blindness Mm. um, and skin irritation so you just want to avoid all those risks I you know I'm in two minds there are people out there like I said who absolutely love them so it's up to you whether you keep it in your garden or you do get rid of it there are there are many toxic plants and even tomato plants if you were to eat the leaves these also are poisonous. So mm, be mm. aware of what you've got in your garden. Mm. And um, I I like to teach my children and grandchildren. I like to educate them about things and make them aware because I can protect them in, in an area where we have nothing that's dangerous. But then when they go somewhere else it's good for them to be aware of the dangers Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, look, when I got my puppy and I started researching toxic plants, Mm. poisonous plants, I wouldn't have a garden if I didn't... Nearly most plants have got... Issue. So
2: you train your dog.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. She's highly trained, um, Faye. Yeah. <laughs> trained to destroy the furniture.
2: So the you house, keep an us, eye on her.
0: Us yeah, I actually do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And she's she's pretty good. Like if she was to attack a plant, it's purely for her amusement.
2: And your attention.
0: Yeah. Oh, mm. mainly attention. Yeah. This is why she does it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. We're in Bentley talking to Margaret. Good morning.
5: Hi Margaret. Hi, good morning. Hello. Um, I missed the last two weeks of your program I was out of town. I missed Bob
2: Melville's talk about the roses. Now, have have they come up with anything for this chilli thrip? Well, I understand they are still looking into it. Um, There are things that we do know about thrips in general. One is that they do not... Well, they what they like are dry conditions. So they will harbour in nooks and crannies and perhaps up under leaves. Yeah. So one of the things that's simple and easy that you can do from time to time is cover your plants in water. So spray, spray the trunk, spray up under the leaves. Make the environment uncomfortable for them to want to be there. Now, it's not just roses that they will target.
6: There's quite a
2: range. Um, Also, thrips in general are attracted to the colour blue. So you could think about putting out some blue sticky traps and trapping them. Now, all of these types of things like uh, integrated pest management or biological control won't be 100% effective, but they will help in your fight against the chilli thrip. I would yeah. recommend putting around plants that bring in predators. So things that complement roses might be uh, red or blue salvias, white alyssum placed around as a border. You could put mm-hmm. in some um, ornamental garlic, yeah, mm-hmm. um, things like that that, that give good bugs a place to live. So I'm talking about lacewings and ladybirds and hoverflies because a lot mm. of their their larvae are predators of these tiny little insects. So it all helps. Um, now another something else I've come across, and I saw a magnificent picture on Facebook of a beautiful garden full of roses, and mm. the solution to their treatment was. Alternate weeks of spraying between eco-oil and eco-neem. Now, you wouldn't spray neem on edible plants.
7: No,
2: no. But certainly fine around your roses. And you could alternate that weekly. Now, the the eco-oil is one that I've used in the past and it does help bring in the good guys. So not only is the effect of the oil, but bringing Mm -hmm. in parasites and predators oh good one
5: okay well i'll try that then and see how i go also yeah.
2: remove the flower buds so do it do a light cut back and oh, right. bag yeah. your infected uh prunings oh right thank okay. you for so that. that that's just to start to get you through yeah. margaret
0: yeah and
2: um it's not the be-all, end-all by any means, but we will keep you up to date when we know more. Great. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank yeah, thanks for the show. Okay. Bye now. Bye. You're Bye. welcome. Bye. Bye.
0: Okay, quick break. When we return, we are chatting to Justin Leader from Grass Trees Australia. 100.1. Radio. 24 minutes after eight, you are listening to Ray and Fay. This is Let's Talk Gardening. Straight out to Justin Leader from Grass Trees Australia.
2: Hi, Justin. Thanks for waiting.
8: No problem. Thanks for having me on.
2: Ah, good morning, Justin. You've got a big job, haven't you? Because Grass Trees are really quite popular around the place.
8: They are. They are getting more and more popular every uh, every time we go to work.
2: Oh. Very good. Now, I'll kick off because this was a question that I had during the week um, from, from a lady named Kerry, and she's had three in her garden uh, for over a year now, and I think there's evidence of some scale problem.
8: Yes. That's one of the most common things you'll get with your grass trees is the scale, um, especially in the in, in the garden or urban situation because we've got so many other plants that carry scale as well. And being airborne, they for some reason, they really, really like the grass trees and they can get into the centre where it's nice and protected and, yeah, really produce. So, so it's just, just a white oil treatment with a petroleum oil, um, not too strong and not in the sun, same as the directions.
2: Right. Can you talk us through the process of relocating grass trees?
8: Um, I can, but it's it's horses for courses. It's really, first of all, like you, you can just not move some grass trees. Just aren't viable to move. The the move would actually kill them, mm. or they're not really in in great health to start with. And because they're such slow growing, to to feed them and get them back into health could take years. Um, different soil types moving them into a different soil type requires different um, care and and that to get them going. It's really, in, in short, it's a, a fairly specialised job, which is what our business runs on. So, you know, like if anyone has got one that's got sentimental value or they want to save it or that, it's probably worth getting us, us to do it to get okay. the best result.
2: And so ha- having heard all that, I guess in in some ways you might almost be better rather than going for that sentimental aspect is um, you relocate a lot of yours from cleared land so you've got the opportunity to go in and choose the healthiest specimens or uh, the best access?
8: Yeah, you're exactly right there. We'll go through and um, select the best, healthiest stock that, you know, like if they've got damaged trunks or a broken arm where, you know, like they can get an infection or just rot into the trunk and, and stuff like that. If you start with a nice, healthy tree, well, obviously you're going to get a much, much better result. And all our, um, we go to a lot of the, the clearing sites that are already earmarked for clearing. And so on top of that, we go to Parks and Wildlife and get a licence to actually remove those. The amount of trees that we can get off them, and they're taken back to our nursery for our whole process.
2: So you, and then what? What do you do with them once you've dug them up? Yeah. And I, I know how big they are. It's not a case of <laughs> oh, I've got this, you know, um, grass tree, and it's say seventy centimeters high. They weigh a ton.
8: Exactly. Um, part of the, well, a lot of the reason is the trunk is actually because they can go without any water for so long, the trunks are actually quite moist. So mm. they're water to start with. And then the, generally the root ball hold a lot of soil as well. I mean, some of our, our bigger trees in the four and 500 litre bag are, um, you know, 1. 1.3, 1. 1.5
2: ton. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So how do you then look after them? Um, we
8: once we've got got them from site, we bag them, and then we have rows where they're monitored and um, go through our process. And to what we specialise in is getting new roots back on the trees. So when you just dig a tree up, there's no new root, and that's why the survival rate of trees that are just dug up and planted is so low, uh-huh. probably around 25%. So we dig them up, bag them, get new roots on them. They'll have a full head of foliage. It's a bit like a tree. What you see on top will be underneath. So if you see a grass tree with very little foliage, you can probably say there'll be very little underneath.
2: Right. Okay. And how do people look after them when they're installed in their gardens?
8: Um, with us, what we do is when we get people in and they select a the tree, quite often we'll deliver and install it. Um, as you alluded to, the weight is, is seen. So we've got high ab trucks that can lift them in with the minimal root disturbance we put them in. And depending on the size of the tree and the soil type um, and even you know the foliage mass, like a single head will transpire less water than a, a triple head. So depending on the tree, we give the advice for how much water and and how to look after it. So when it's
0: in the ground, you know, most people have retic that comes on twice a week and it's set for a certain period of time. Can they blend into that routine or do they have to be kept separate?
8: Um, We, as you said, twice a week, we can cope with any more than that and you're kind of creating a tropical scenario, which obviously they don't like being an, an Australian native. What we're trying to do is simulate as much as we can the weather, So we don't get 100 mil at a time like Queensland or those places. So what we're trying to do is do that and minimise the amount of water you, your grass tree gets. Um, what we always say is, you know, you can't... If you're going to put a grass tree in, try and have a, have a native garden. Succulents are good to put around them. Same mm. water requirement.
2: And how close would you plant up to... A grass tree or how far do their roots actually go?
8: Um, generally, the roots, they'll go out and establish uh, like a good water source. Um, we've seen them, they come back up, you know, like in a park, they'll mulch. We've seen the roots come back up and sit just under the mulch where the moisture is. They actually will come out of the ground. So once they establish a consistent water source, they don't waste much more on pushing roots out and like a, a gum tree because they're not intent on growing a lot bigger. So it's just very, very minimal, non-evasive root system.
2: And should they be mulched, Justin?
8: Um, not right up to the trunk. You've got to remember, you know, something a metre high is 100 years old and the trunk is wood. And the same as the mulch, if you mulch up to it and keep it moist around the trunk, the trunk will decay too. So mm. we recommend keeping it, you know, like 60 centimetres back. And if you want to put something around it, um, use some stone that doesn't absorb any water and, yeah, no mm. problem.
2: Yeah. Now, how much do they grow?
8: Right. <laughs> One centimetre a year, naturally.
2: Wow. Yeah.
8: Yep. So something, you know, two to three metres high is, yeah, two or three hundred years old potentially. Oh,
0: and, that's amazing. Yeah.
8: Yeah, and
0: heartbreaking if you you have something like that in your garden and you lose it.
8: Yeah, but even even you know a metre high tree, grass mm. tree, and if you sit it next to uh, a fifty year old gum tree, the size difference is the perspective people get and think you know oh that great big tree is going to be taken, but a small grass tree that's the same age, you know like people don't notice as much.
2: Mm. No, well they're not they're not fast growing, obviously, and you know, they, they look so beautiful out in our landscapes. Now, tell us about burning because yeah. people think, oh, you know, if it's not well, I'll burn it. That'll just fix everything. Hmm. <laughs> it, it, obviously,
8: in, in their um, natural habitat,
2: yeah.
8: you know, even with the fires we've had this year, like they get naturally burnt uh, three to eight years, something, you know, let, let's average it and say like every five years they get a burn. But if that tree goes for 10 or 15 years in someone's garden because it's close to the house and it gets, you light it up then, even if you don't burn your house down, um, the tree has got so much fuel thatch load on it that it, it actually creates a really intense burn and can can damage your tree. So... What we recommend is once you do is just trim it off with second years or that every two years and just keep keep it going up. Just take those brown ones off the bottom and keep going. And even if you do it yearly, it's a very small job.
2: And as far as a pruning and maintenance goes, what's your opinion on, on the shaped trees, grass trees that we see around the suburbs? Um,
8: we call them mushrooms and we haven't found the reason that it's done like that yet so if you do find that out can you please let us know
0: <laughs> i've been watching um one in my neighborhood justin and i noticed the fellow gets his electric saw out uh, or trimmer if you like and he's trimmed this uh grass tree it's it's you know it has two heads and he's trimmed it right down to just two little balls
8: yeah yeah i mean there doesn't doesn't if it's scratching his car on the way out or something like that, or it's near a path, you know, you might trim one side back. But actually, just running the hedge,
2: yeah.
8: the whole thing doesn't it doesn't assist with anything. It's just yeah,
2: aesthetics. It's, oh well, it, it looks aesthetics. terrible.
0: It's just like two little brown
2: balls so on the ground. Yeah. I did have a look at your website, Justin, and you your plants are, you know, if they've been trimmed up. All of the, the dead fronds are taken away, and there's just the green left.
8: Correct. Yeah. Because yeah, obviously to, to move them around and that with the large thatch load on is like gets quite difficult. Even planting them now, um, our guys even even on a winter's day will wear sunglasses or uh, clear glasses to to put them in because they go in your ears. Yeah. nose, Eyes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I've, uh, yeah. sorry, when I've deconstructed grass trees that have passed away in my garden, I've found such a load of critters in there. i found frogs, beetles, geckos, all sorts of things. And you've got a story too of something that moved into one of the trees that that you were collecting, I believe.
8: Yes, yes. Um because quite, quite often, like, the roads are, uh, like, quite... We don't walk in in amongst them, the roadways. And, uh, yeah, we had a, a large resident dugite in one of ours. Wow. But, uh, yeah, and quite often um, we had a site in Kwinana. And uh, it was just a change of season. And um, quite often on a, on a winter's morning... The grass trees will actually steam from the, the warm stuff inside. Yes. So all, at this site, quite often, you'd have a snake wrapped around the base of the tree as you dug it out. Wow. And, yeah. Justin,
2: so, that is not what I was thinking. You were telling me about a cute honey possum.
8: Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, well that, yes. We were at a, at a site and there was a, a tree that was, oh, massive, like, to 500 years old, one of the biggest ones we've ever seen, and there was a hole in it. And it wasn't until like we got to site quite early one morning to see these possums on site uh, making their way home.
2: Oh, that's beautiful! That's the story I was looking for.
8: <laughs> oh, yeah, but, as you said, in the dead grass trees or the live ones, there's an array of critters.
2: Yes, yes, wonderful habitat, and yes, just iconic West Australian trees.
8: Yep, yep.
2: And how popular are
0: they now these days, Justin? In landscapes, are they in um, high demand?
8: Yeah, and they actually have been for probably the last. We've had the business for around eleven years, yeah, and and yeah, there's been a, a steady. I mean, even when we we took the business over, we were quite surprised at at the demand for them, and but mm. it, it has steadily grown.
0: Yeah, and are you at the Perth Garden Festival?
8: Uh, not this year. Not this year. We're, we did go last year. Yeah, I've seen but you there. we've got a couple of other events on. So, yeah, this year we're going to give that one a miss, but we'll be back next year.
2: Fantastic. All right, Justin, thank you very much for your time today. Lovely talking to you, and, and hopefully our listeners have learnt a little bit more about grass trees.
8: No problem, and if anyone wants to contact us, just do it through our website and we can help out.
2: Perfect. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you. Thanks. Okay, Bye. cheers, cheers for that. All right, we'll actually go to a short break so that we can get uh, a, do a good job on these calls we've got sitting. We have Alma and we have Hayden and we have Alan. So back in a moment. You're with Ray and Faye, this is Let's Talk Gardening and we have been joined in the studio by Mike and Mandy Bamford from Bamford Eco Consulting. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. And thank you for joining us. We're going straight out to the calls. Now, Alma, I saw that you've dropped off, love, and you wanted to talk about passion fruit and I know you've been waiting a long time. Please ring back and we'll put you straight to air if you can. We're in Morley. Hayden, good morning. Morning,
2: Hayden. Good
9: morning. Good morning. morning.
2: Hello, how are you?
9: Oh, fine. It's uh, just um, our roses are coming up dead. <laughs> I wondered if it was the same thing you had on the program last week.
2: Well, it it could be. Um, what are they they doing? What are how are they behaving, and what do they look like?
9: When the flower bud starts opening, instead of it coming out nice like a nice rose, it, it looks all sort of black and dead, and it doesn't um, expand. Yeah, it just stays as a small bud and. Uh, the side of it rocks away, just all black and horrible.
2: Okay. Alright, we did cover it a little bit earlier this morning so what okay. I would suggest is you give them a light cut back, remove all your buds and blooms and yep. just cut them like you would uh, if you're picking a vase of flowers and rem- uh-huh. put all that into a bag and bin it so you're not spreading the problem. My tips okay. for um, helping and it may or may not 100% get rid of them water over and under the leaves because thrips don't like being around moisture they're looking for a dry environment uh-huh. uh, you could try blue sticky traps you could also spray with an eco oil and alternate weeks uh, neem oil
0: how many weeks would you do that for?
2: Um, uh, probably until well <laughs> In part, it's a preventative. I don't know, Ray. This mm-hmm. is like new territory we're in. Um, okay. And also, I would bump up the flowers around. So, white Allison red salvias, blue salvias, anything that's going to harbour good bugs in your garden. You can't do oh, enough okay. of that. And no. and that will help. Mm-hmm. It will never hurt. It will always help. And you'll have a pretty garden. So, win-win. Okay.
9: <laughs> Thank you very much for your advice.
2: All right. Good luck with that, Hayden. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.
0: Bye. And we have a question about grass trees. Alan, good morning.
2: Hi, Alan. Oh,
1: yes. Good morning. <laughs>
2: Sorry to keep you waiting.
1: That's fine. Yes, I'm guilty. I have a mushroom out in front of my garden. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: That's lovely to hear. I bet it looks Beautiful. Oh.
1: Oh, it certainly does. But uh, just a little bit of background. Uh, yes, uh, we've been in this uh, uh, property here for uh, about uh, 14 years and uh, with a native uh, reserve across the road from us, we had a native garden. Uh, well, I put in a native garden in front here. And we in, well uh, established, I think there's was about four or five grass trees. Now, I've got to be careful because I said the other word earlier. Um, <laughs> yes. So they're all growing very well but there's a large, really fat one in the middle of the garden and we have one big retic sprinkler that we can put on to water the whole native garden and that's why I cut it into a mushroom so the sprinkler can go underneath the tree.
2: Right. Okay. Four to five years after it's established, yeah. I, when I spoke to Justin the other day, um, I understand that, you know, they're native plants and... What I'm thinking is they probably don't need water from uretic.
1: Well, it's just one sprinkler in the middle of the garden, and these uh, I've got three trees, uh, three grass trees off just to one side, uh, with a lovely uh, South African protea uh, uh, to the opposite side. And they're all going absolutely gangbusters. And there was a ground cover that uh, we've recently ripped out because it was a noxious weed. It had that little daisy flower uh, thing. It looked pretty, but it sent seeds everywhere. So that's all gone now. And uh, we're putting in a prostrate, um, oh, it's, uh, I think it's a prostrate wattle, uh, yes. very low, low to the ground. Uh, and uh, it, uh, it should cover the area very nicely.
2: But I would leave uh, 60 centimetres around the trunk of your grass tree? Yes. Okay, so you, but you don't want to be interfering? No, No. And, no
1: definitely not, no.
2: Okay, so yes. is, are they doing well or like? Is they, there a problem um, that you need help no, with? there
1: is absolutely no problem. Oh. They are going gangbusters.
2: Oh, yay. <laughs> Thank you. I was, I was thinking, oh, have I missed, no, there's I missed no the problem? problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so your your mushroom is thriving.
1: Yes, they are. (laughs) And um, I have done once or twice in the time that they've been in because I give them the haircut with the uh, hedge trimmer uh, and then I tape up all the green fonds up to a point and then I just set fire to the uh, old... Uh, little cut off bits from a few years previous, and that gives a pretty black uh, stump. It's not an intensive fire; yes. it's a very low uh, intense fire. Uh, and um, yes, they are—they're looking absolutely oh, beautiful.
2: Good, good. I'm very happy to hear that. Well, you're doing a great job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and retired, and still doing it wonderfully. Oh, <laughs>
0: good on you, Alan. Yeah.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. So, thanks very much.
9: Thanks right. for your story. Appreciate Thank it. you.
0: Cheers. Bye. Bye. Because, is it, am I right with the grass trees when they are burnt? They give off an ethanol, and uh, it can be a really, got to be very careful trying doing that sort of thing well, with what they emit.
2: I, the I don't know about that. I've that. done mm. it a few times. I love burning grass trees because mm. we have a few, mm. and um, oh, nothing goes up like a grass tree. So no, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a pyromaniac when it. Yeah. Yeah, comes you, to you grass like, trees like and matches. Fire. Yeah. Mm. Ah, okay. Mm. Well, and I think, you know, it, it cleans everything up. Yeah. Um, but also knowing now what, what lives in them, I'm probably less likely to do that. But, yeah. you know, we where we are, we've got a lot of bush and so fire is a risk. And when you see how a, a large gra- grass tree um, implodes with fire, if you can reduce that in the event of a ahead of a fire mm. it's probably a good thing
0: yeah mm. yeah okay nine four eight four one nine two seven mike and mandy bamford now eco consulting tell me how this all started that oh, you, you became ecologists oh. yeah <laughs> ecologist.
4: <laughs> well i think it started with me when i was four and mum tells me i couldn't tread on the ants on the pavement so I yeah think it's, i can understand that you know mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a lifelong complete obsession i yeah. think mike that would yeah. be a fair comment wouldn't it
3: well, yes, it would, yes. But I mean, as a business, we both you know, went to university and studied zoology type things. Yeah. And people started to offer us work on doing zoology type things, studying yeah. animals, doing yeah. surveys, and it. we discovered we had a business.
0: That yeah. doesn't sound like work, does it? No, no, <laughs> no it we, sounds
4: <laughs> like fun. We, we <laughs> yeah. actually feel a bit lucky because going to work, in fact... We volunteer doing what we do for work as well, so uh, yes, we're very, very lucky,
0: blessed, yeah, no, and okay, so we had a call a few weeks ago, didn't we, and uh, it's a big subject, I think with our listeners is attracting you know wildlife birds into their garden and how you create that habitat, uh, certainly in a what a local suburban garden. Is, is how easy is that or how difficult is that?
2: And I think the catalyst was the phone call from Steve who had a large gum tree and he had pink and grey galahs returning each year and he felt that they were ring-barking the tree. So he started contacting arborists and, and different people to to get an answer on, you know, what if he were to put some wire around the tree to stop them ring-barking the tree and killing the tree? Um yeah, so, yeah, can you comment on
4: on that? Yeah, well, so galahs do have the behaviour where they, they make a shield, which seems to be some sort of advertisement of the fact that this is their tree and they've claimed that hollow, seems to be more common in uh, areas where there are lots of galahs. So you'll have more shields being made on those trees. Generally speaking, it doesn't kill the tree because, generally speaking, they just choose an area. So they they don't ring bark the whole tree. It's simply a shield that's very obvious. So usually they don't kill the tree. Mm. Of course, they like hollows. So they certainly will try and encourage hollows. And we've got some galahs that use one of our trees out the back where they've actually started chewing a little hole in the top of a spout. And I'm sure that over time, that mm-hmm. will encourage the fungi and other things to start, you know, hollowing that out for them. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're looking after their future yeah. as well. But uh, yeah, look, I think generally speaking, it's not going to kill the tree. Mike, do you think that's a fair comment?
3: I, I think I think it is. Yep. Yeah. And, and if you try to just discourage them from chewing on one spot, they'll probably just go and move and chew somewhere else, which may make it worse. So it may be a matter of having an arborist look at the tree that's been damaged, if you like call it damaged, mm. by, the, by the galahs. Have an arborist look at it and say, well, yes, that branch is going to die. We probably should take that one off. The other ones are okay. We'll take a bit of weight off there to make, to make it a bit more balanced. You can probably manage the, what the galahs are doing.
2: Mm. But we I think... Oh, sorry, Faith. Well, I was just going to say, and then following on from that, another caller came in, I think it was Ted, who said the galahs, uh actually put a, a powder, powder coating on the tree. Yes, you're nodding.
4: (laughs) They do, yes. (laughs) Have to remember it's radio. (laughs) Nodding doesn't transmit very well. Uh, They do. They will rub the the powder off their feathers onto that. And it's interesting, the science behind it is not well understood. Why they do that, whether it's to do with signalling to other birds, whether it's a
2: social behaviour or whether there is some other...
4: Insect,
2: um, to keep ants away... That this gentleman thought. Yeah, there's, look, there's a few
4: suggestions. It mm. might be ants. There's also the one about goannas climbing the tree and making it slippery so they can't climb, which I think has been fairly well discounted because they get there anyway. Uh, and because it doesn't go all the way around the tree, that doesn't really make sense. Mm. Also questionable with the ants, unless it's a smell thing or a, some sort of pheromone. You haven't heard any other... No, no, intelligence, I Mike. But it, it's always <laughs> nice when no,
3: it's always nice when people make observations because yeah. we know so little about our wildlife, really. That the more observations people make and report, whether it's writing it down or bringing a radio station up, it all helps to accumulate knowledge.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, short break. We'll be back in a moment.
3: Curtain radio. Thanks
0: for your company this morning. This is Let's Talk Gardening. Special guests in the studio, Mike and Mandy Bamford. And we're talking about how we attract bird life, wildlife into our gardens. Now, we do have the news at nine o'clock coming up as well. And I have a $75 voucher to give away to one lucky listener. Now, you must be a member of Curtin FM, so you need your membership number to quote Uh, when you ring in and that number of course is 94841927 not to have won a prize in the last 28 days so have your membership number card ready for Bev when you ring in and this is a question that John's been putting questions together each week and he's trying to make them harder and harder because they appear to be too easy because our listeners just ring in immediately so here we go now this is uh, the voucher is from Bigger Trees uh, compliments of Kerry Spriggs at Bigger Trees the home of the Frangipani. The oldest rose bush in the world is believed to be the Thousand Year Rose, growing in the apse of the Here we go of the Heidesheim Cathedral, Heidesheim, Germany. According to legend, it, baked, it dates back to the year 815, but documentary evidence puts it, its age at approximately 700 years. The question is what type of rose is it? I might just read that again. The oldest rose bush in the world is believed to be the thousand year rose, growing in the apse of the Hutesheim Cathedral, Hudesheim, Germany, and according to legend it dates back to the year eight hundred and fifteen, but documentary evidence puts it puts its age at approximately 700 years. The question is, what type of rose is it? If you'd like to win a $75 voucher from Bigger Trees, go to it right now. Membership number, not to have won a prize in the last 28 days, 94841927. Okay,
2: carry on. Where on earth does he come up with these things? <laughs> oh, you know what John's like. You know how his brain works. <laughs> very, very interesting. Do exactly. you know the answer, right?
0: Only because I've got it in front of me. (laughs) Very good. Yeah.
2: Well, the subject today is how we can get birds in our garden and create a habitat for them. So, Mandy and Mike, away you go. Well, look, there's so many ways that you can
4: improve your garden for birds. I suppose local native plants are really just such a plus. So, any plants at all, obviously, but local native ones, you really notice an uptick in, in the species and I guess the other thing that's really important is water. So if there's one thing you can do in your garden, it's put in Fresh a water. bird bath. Fresh water needs to be clean yes. and quite well positioned so that there's a little bit of cover near the bird bath, but the birds can slip in and out without mm. being seen. But they can also see prey around them and up off the ground so yes. that you're away from cats. And the other thing we find is quite good is to have. More than one bird bath, so you have mm. a, big, a bird bath for the big birds, and then a little bath somewhere tucked away, so those little shy birds can sneak in and out.
2: Yeah, love that. And different levels too.
4: Different levels as well, yes. Mm. So have have a nice and shallow for for the little birds, and slightly deeper. And we put a rock in as well because you don't want any lizards and things falling in and, and drowning. Mm. Uh, and certainly, yes, heights off the ground. If you've got if you're fortunate enough to have black cockatoos in your area, then a big Bird bath up high will bring their, those in as well which is a really nice thing to do
3: and it, it takes a while for, for birds to find water it doesn't happen instantly but we have two bird baths we've got a, a fancy one on a pedestal mm. which has a rock in it and a branch sticking out of it yeah and that brings lots of birds in often larger birds we have a smaller one on a stump which is an old dog dog bowl which yeah. just got stuck there one day and got left there yeah. and that brings the smaller birds in a lot and this yes, mm. they often gather in mobs in a bush nearby, dive into the bird bath, zip back, backwards and forwards. And if a mm. large bird comes in, all the small birds go woof and scatter, which you can't see when we move my arms around on radio, but mm. you know what I mean.
2: Mm. And great tip. It doesn't have to be a specially designed bird bird mm. bath. It can be a dog bowl. It can be an old casserole dish that's come out of the cupboard. Uh, an old fry pan works very well, especially a Big, solid fry pan base. The cockatoos are loving it in my garden at the moment.
3: Ah, yeah. Nice, mm. yeah. But shallow. If it's deep and steep-sided, you might end up drowning something. So, so exactly. a frying pan sort of style is, is cool. Yeah, dog mm. bowl.
2: Not a big casserole baking dish. No, <laughs> <laughs> or a
3: huge pot, yeah.
2: Ah, and what other, say, styles of plants need to be in a garden to, to help out the birds? It depends, once again,
4: what birds you're trying to attract. So trees are obviously very important for lots of reasons, but the larger birds really do like trees. If you want to get the smaller birds in, you really do need to plant shrubs and understory because that provides dense areas where they can hide from cats and they can safely nest as well. Uh, spiky bushes are great. <laughs> they, they're very good mm, for keeping the predators away. Exactly. Um, You know, plant them under your windows, keep the burglars at bay. But uh, it's certainly dense patches, but also little patches of open area because they do like sunshine and edges to forage on. So you'll find birds will use the edges of paths. You might see birds pop down, pick up an insect and slip back into the bushes. So... A, a range of variety of, yeah, is, is really the key. Mm. And that's probably the key with wildlife generally, I think, Mike, isn't it?
3: It is, yeah. A lot of the small birds you like to get in gardens are, will be the honey eaters. So they're often, they eat insects as well as, as nectar, but they need flowering plants. So grevilleas, banksias, hakias, all those sort of native flowering things are, are, are best. They also have lots of insects on them. So that's the sort of protein side of the, of the diet. And the honey eaters are almost adapted to the suburbs because they're naturally mobile. They move around the landscape looking for nectar. So, whether they're moving around native bushland at Whoop Whoop or the suburbs, they're moving around looking for food. They'll find your garden if it's got food.
0: Yeah. Okay, we need to go to the news. Currently 18.9 degrees, we are shooting for a maximum of 27, it will be sunny. And tomorrow it will be a maximum of 30 and it will be sunny again, the minimum overnight 14. And on Monday the minimum overnight will be 18, mostly sunny with a maximum of 32. Now we do have a prize winner, our $75 voucher from Bigger Trees. Uh, very clever, Robin Bartley from Kingsley. Congratulations to you. And the answer was the rosa canina or the dog rose.
2: Ah, the dog rose. Yes, mm, okay.
0: So she's one of our two bigger trees, which is very much the home of the French of Penny. And they also specialise in gorgeous ornamental and fruit trees and a lot of other fabulous uh, plants and, and goodies up there as well. So she's going to enjoy spending that $75 voucher. You can get something quite decent for that. Absolutely. All right. Let's go to Yokan. We're talking about roses again. Roma, hi. Morning, Roma. Oh, good morning, good
10: morning Um I just got found I had a problem with my roses, which I've never had before. I went out to deadhead them yesterday and I noticed that all the little buds... Uh, black. They're only small. Uh, they've only got a small stem, and the buds are black or very dark brown, and the leaves are a little bit curled up.
2: Yes, Roma, have you been listening to the show this morning? Yes, I have. Oh, so did you hear the? I never miss it. <laughs> oh, did you hear the other? We've spoken about the chilli threat twice this morning. Yes. So yes. did you hear about you know the things that you can do that don't ha- harm other Uh, other good bugs or birds in the environment, the blue sticky traps, the um, adding flowers to your garden to encourage the predators. Yes, yes. So it does sound like you've got possibly the chilli thrip like everyone else. And water up and under the leaves and completely cover the plant because these thrips like a dry environment. So if you change the environment, they're less likely to want to be there. It's not going to nuke the problem 100%, but when you are cutting back as well, make sure you bag and get rid of those, um, bag them properly. Mm. But you can't actually see them. No, No. you can't.
0: No. Certainly you bag the damage.
2: But I think
10: you most probably are right, I've got
0: a little chilli plant, Mm
10: -hmm. and all the leaves are all disappearing off it, it's just leaving the stalks. So I was
2: wondering if that was
10: the um um the thrip, the chili thrip that's
2: doing that. You'd you'd have to have a look under a magnifying glass. Or, you know, go out with a piece of white paper and tap yes. the plant, see yes. if anything falls off and get your magnifying glass. They're about two mils. Okay, because this has never, ever happened before. No, No. well, you're not alone, Roma. And and we're actually going to talk to Mike and Mandy about, you know, the potential of, well, the subject is about getting birds into the garden, but also the fear that we have is that people right across Perth are going to be nuking their roses with, you know, the toxic chemicals that harm the other critters in the environment. And that isn't what any of us want because if we wipe out those top layers... Who's going to come in and and help next time there's a problem? Yeah, true. So just just remove what you would if you were picking a vase of flowers, bag it yeah. and bin it, um, and use something like I've suggested to you know overcome it.
10: Okay, and if you ever heard of um, you most probably have. There's a it's like a you'd call it a beetle, I presume that gets into the middle of the actual rose. When when the rose is opened out, there's um, a bug. It's quite a big one, about as big as your thumbnail.
2: Ooh. Hey, Roma, can you send me a photo? No, I
10: can't. All right. And it's got little white spots on it and it's very hard and it seems to mostly go in the white rose.
2: Okay. There are flower beetles that will be attracted to roses amongst many other things, there's thousands of beetles. It's amazing. Oh, really? Mm. So is it a good beetle or not a good beetle? Well, everything has a has a reason and a job to do. It, maybe it might not suit us all of the time, but yes. a, acknowledge them, appreciate them, and they probably don't do a lot of harm. I might just okay.
3: stop I might yeah. just jump in there if I may. It does sound like one of the scarab beetles, which and it's probably in there after the nectar and pollen. That the larvae of scarab beetles tend to be wood borers or, or, in the soil, eating plant material. So it's probably doing no harm. It may even be pollinating your roses. Not that you want seeds from roses, but no one does. But but there you go.
0: Yeah. Okay. And Roma, oh. do you access the internet? No. Okay. Yeah. No. It's all right. I just was going to recommend that you go back over the information. We had uh, Melville Roses in the studio with us last week and we did cover through it quite extensively.
10: I could get my daughters to have a look most probably. Yeah.
2: And for anyone else listening, we've talked about this chilli threat today and last week as well. And the podcast is available by going to Curtain Radio website and clicking on Programs, Let's Talk Gardening, and podcasts from the last um, year months. and a half, mm. actually. So, but the last two weeks we have talked quite a bit about it.
10: Yes, yes. Well, I never miss your show. I love your a Saturday morning show.
2: Thank you, never Roma. Never miss
10: it. <laughs> All right then. Thank you so much for your help. All You're right. Welcome.
0: Thanks, Roma. Cheers have for a that. good day. Thanks you... very much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And Elma, finally,
11: how are you? Hi, Elma. Hey. Oh, I'm here, darling. Oh, hello. Um, now, uh, the vine is, uh, has been, I suppose it's been over seven years, but it's a yellow kelly and the be- lovely big yellow one. My uh, vine is very healthy, and I'm uh, getting a lot of flowers. Why do some of them flowers, and that don't develop into fruit? They drop. And I... it's getting it had lamb thrive dig under it, oh, yes. and i would given them blood and bone, but uh, it's loaded with green, but uh, it's getting plenty of water, but why, why uh, do some of the flowers don't develop? they just drop.
2: Elma, did you say anelli Kelly, but it's yes. yellow, yeah, is it the banana passion fruit? No, it's not it's or not Panama, Panama gold.
6: Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: Okay, all right. Um, either way, it could be a pollination issue. Uh, Nelly Kelly passion fruit. I thought only live about seven years, but yeah, what well, we will, what we tend to do is springtime trim back the vine. Uh, maybe well it depends how big it is, but if you cut back the growing tips. You will encourage new growth and kick it into a flowering cycle.
11: Yeah, well, I've only had a prune back once because I went mad. But I don't like pruning it back because it's so healthy. It's just going everywhere. Mm. But um, um, they say sometimes the vine can only develop so much fruit. Is that true?
2: Well, that's, that is true. But you've got pollination for starters. You, most yeah. people tend to want to get more flowers and more fruit. So if yeah. you were to prune it, like trim it lightly in early spring. Now. No, early spring. Oh. Trim it back lightly. That encourages new growth. And at the same time, give it a fertilizer that's high in potassium. So a, a fertilizer that's designed for flowering and fruiting plants, oh. you will get... Better quality flowers, the plant will hang on to them better, uh, provided you've got pollinators there. They will pollinate. What's the name of that? Uh, what's the name of that, love? A complete fertilizer. How or, do you pronounce it? Well, there's different brand names. There's oh. um, well, Thrive, Osmocote, Cresco. There's lots of different brands. Oh that you can use, but you're looking for something for flowering and fruiting plants. That's the key. And give mm. it in springtime and keep the water up to it.
11: But once the fruit keeps dropping, you
2: know, I've got half
11: a dozen or something. I mean, I, I've given dozens and dozens away, but uh, it's a it, they're, they're beautiful inside. There's plenty of fruit.
2: Fantastic. Well, it sounds like you're doing the right thing, Elma. I don't think you yeah. need my
11: help. <laughs>
2: and another little
11: thing, love. Uh, roses. Um, I had them sprayed for thrip and aphids, but I'm still getting some of my roses
2: with thrip. What causes that? Well, there is a new bug out, Alma. I don't know if you've heard about it, but yeah, well, what some I of would roses have got? Some
0: don't get it.
2: Mm, well, that that's good. Well,
0: that's that's what I'm finding in my my garden as well. Some have been What's affected. What's the bug? Chilli thrip.
2: What is it, mum? It's called chilli thrips. What's that? T? T H R I P. And you won't see it, Alma. No. It's so T-H-R-I-P. small. i p Yep. Yeah. Ah. But what I would
11: do is Trip. go. go well, there the was uh, one that you could buy powder to put down in the roots of the roses, wasn't there?
2: Oh, yeah, but do you want birds and a good, healthy environment, Alma?
11: What's it called?
2: What I would suggest, just me personally, I would put more flowers around because that will give you a healthy garden, a pretty garden, and it will bring in some good bugs that will look after your thrips.
11: well, I only seem to be able to. I've got about 30 rose bushes in, and they've been beautiful, but they're growing beautiful, but you don't prune them until about the end of July. But uh, my roses, but some I, I keep going around cutting the uh, ones the thrip that's in them. But some roses have got them, and some haven't. That's what makes me yep. wonder why.
0: Yeah. No, we don't know. We don't. There's a lot of things out there at the moment, Alma, with chili thrip that we're still learning about. Yeah. And
11: do you think the weather, the climate, has got a lot to do with plants, love?
2: Oh, weather's. Absolutely. It's a perfect storm. Yeah. Got a lot mm, to do with them. The heat. I mean, yeah. a lot of plants are looking really healthy now. Mm. Yeah. Our native well, plants and our bush. Wish it, my wish
11: is still flowering. And the frangipangy, that was late flowering. But it's all dropping now.
2: Well, Elma, uh, enjoy your garden. I will, love. Okay. Right. Thanks well, for we'll your talk call. We'll talk again.
0: Take care. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're in Ellenbrook. Kim, good morning.
7: Is that me? Yes, Kim. Oh, sorry. Hi, <laughs> oh, love. Are you Kim? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. When you didn't say my name, I thought, oh, okay, is so it me? <laughs> I've got a tip. I had th- um, the potato fillers, so that's what they initially called it, um, but in 2017 in Ellenbrook, um, not Allenbrook, Edgewater when I was up there really badly, So, and I had lots of chilli plants and a few tomatoes and that. I blitzed up my... The chilies that were, you know, because you lose a lot of chilies because of it. Yes. I blitzed them with some cheap garlic and then put vinegar, if white vinegar, if you're using a rose that's really diluted with, uh, you know, only a third of white vinegar, and I sprayed that all through all my chilies, my uh, roses, the whole thing, and that, that controlled them.
2: Right. Okay, so
7: just your home, but it's just like mm. the better. Oh, sorry, I can't say. But you know, there's that chili mix out there, but you can make your own with the chilies that you're losing from your plants because of the thrip. Just blitz them with garlic and one part white vinegar to, to two parts water.
2: Okay, and give yep. it a
7: give it a. You know, you can you can you know that really worked. I, I sprayed it through the garden because so I got it really heavily, and I did confirm it with the test. They had a um the agriculture had I think the way they come around and ah. put the sticky thing to see if you did really have it. I did, and uh yeah, so that really worked. It was just my own blend, but you can easily do it yourself
0: and how um, often so, did you re- apply that Kim?
7: Oh, uh, every four to six weeks when it's he- they're heavy, which mm. is probably at the moment before um while well, the season, the season's good for them. but it did mm. work
2: it, even on the roses. Mm. And, Kim, what colour were the sticky traps they used? Yellow. Okay, yep. That was the
7: the, uh, the ag board when they were looking for them. Yes. So I put yep. my hand up for it. Mm. And I had them, I definitely had them, because they had a lot of chilli plants as well as roses and tomatoes. So the attraction was then I picked up that information from the, the gardening thing itself, personally, to understand
2: it more. So,
7: but yeah, yeah. No, just split your own uh, chilies, get some cheap garlic, you know, those cheap ones.
2: So mm, that was the Sorry. tomato potato salad, wasn't it?
7: Yeah, which mm. is very similar, if not the same.
2: are uh, different. different, different, different bug. Um oh, the okay. toma- Tomato potato salad. You could actually see it's sort of more towards yeah. an aphid size, I would say. You can see it with your naked eye, but the idea of uh, blitzing up uh, a Bug that is a pest and spraying it over plants that are affected works really well because those pests death. are mm. you know a, um, put off by anything that smells the same as them that is dead mm.
7: yeah yeah maybe they could try a little patch smaller test with the um and see that yeah also well, it's just, it's a, you know just a natural product you're not putting
2: yeah, calls calls. That's right Kim. Yeah. Well, thank you very Sorry. much for your call. No
0: problem. Thank you. Okay. okay. Cheers Kim. Bye. Bye. Okay, 94841927. We will be back shortly. 100.1. <laughs> Great to have your company today. This is Let's Talk Gardening, and it's 23 minutes after nine. Special guests in the studio with me this morning, Mike and Mandy Bamford, and we are talking about attracting bird life into our gardens. Straight back out to the line as well, we're in Northam. Louise, good morning. Hi, Hi Louise. Good morning, Bill. How are
7: you? Good, thank you. Um, I live in Northern, and I have a ponytail palm um, that I have got in a half Barrel sitting on my front veranda, and I have a tin roof, and it has reached the roof. And I'm wondering if I can cut the top out of it. Will it harm it, kill it, or
2: what will happen oh, with it? Louise, I think it will just destroy the look of the plant. Can you can you move it somewhere else? They will take full sun, uh, and they're they're beautiful specimen plants as they are. I I wouldn't recommend that you cut it.
5: Okay, um, it's just that it was my mum,
7: mum's and she's um, deceased now and I don't really want to plant it in the garden. Um, so if I just move it when
2: the weather cools down, out. Yes, um, yes. They're very tough and they will, uh, you know, do very well in an open situation. In fact, I saw one yesterday that had uh, about four four multiple heads and it was about three meters tall in a garden yeah so, yeah you don't have to put it in the ground just move the pot out into an open space where it can just keep growing
7: okay yeah because um it's now reached roof, the roof, roof of the veranda and of course the top of it's getting all burnt from the heat off of the, hmm. off of the and yeah. I don't want to lose
0: it. You can cut it, and it develops pups.
7: Yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: but I I just, I wouldn't.
2: Okay, thank you. Okay. You, have a
0: good day? You, too, you too, Louise. Thanks, Louise. <laughs> wow, what a terrible line. Um, all right, we're in Mundaring, talking about Sylvia's. Margaret, good morning.
6: Hi, Hi Margaret. Good morning, girls, um, everybody there. I um, uh, say um, about the... Um, bird life, um, may I suggest you contact Eric McCrum Yes. He's our bird man he's um, lived up here in the hills for many years and he's still up here and Jenny's secretary will have his contact about the birds and I'm sure he can tell you all about the habit of the, the galahs and the maries and the whatever.
2: Yes, he's Eric's been around for a long time and he's and amazing. And he does a bit on the station yeah. as well. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Yes, Eric was one of the
0: people who taught me, actually.
6: Yeah. Sorry. I'd just like to ask about growing salvias, um, because I've got several rose bushes. So if you've got a rose bush, say, uh, metres, each rose bush would be a metre apart, how many salvia plants could I safely grow in between each rose bush? Because I was thinking of different colours.
2: Well... (laughs) That will depend on the which salvia, selvia, Margaret. Yeah, because mm. I, I've had very good results. The ones that I use around my rose garden, I've planted out as little borders, like a, around the front of the rose oh, garden. Okay. Yeah. So I've I've done a border of white allison, yeah. and then over behind that, um, at different times, I've had begonias, and then behind that, red or blue salvias, right. um, and then the The other salvias at the back of the garden. So Mm. if you're planting in between, I'd probably say, you know, you'd you'd only need one salvia plant between. And in time, they will self sow. Oh, okay. Mm. And they they spread, do they? They can do. The red salvias I've got, I think they're blaze of fire. And there are different Mm. ones, but I've just got the the ones that. Well, initially they only grew to about thirty centimeters, but now they. They sort of more up about 90 centimeters, mm. but I just come in with the hedge pruners. So easy. And yeah. in each of those flowers, there'll be there'll be little aphids, there'll be ladybirds, ladybird larva. I see lacewing larva patrolling round. Uh, there's hoverflies and their larvae. It's just a bank, a bank of good bugs that yeah. move in and help look after my roses. Yes, because
6: I'm thinking, you know, the, what there was another plant besides salvia that was a recommended for the bees as well because we have got to plant, uh, well, put in plants to attract our bees as well.
2: Well, uh, are you talking about our native bees, Margaret, or our honeybees? Just, just, just trying to Im- improve the, the garden to attract
6: more insects. In exactly, general.
2: yes. Yep.
6: So, and there was another plant that was mentioned besides the the, the, uh, the salvia, but I can't remember what it was.
2: Well, you know another one that would work really well, and that's uh, basil, and perennial basil? Oh, oh of course, of course, yes. Yeah, mm. yeah. But that, that also will bring in the native bees. Now, native bees aren't the honeybees. Um oh, no no but we'll not. we'll save that subject for another day because we've had a couple yeah. of emails about that, and right. we've got bird experts here in the studio, so that's right we that's what we'd like to talk about today
6: yes, yeah, well, I was just hoping Elmer could could hear some of this
2: yes, so, thank you Margaret
6: um because the you know the salvias are such a easy plant to look after only because i've um,
2: mm, they are. the
6: yeah. Um, but I just wasn't sure how many to put in between each rose bush, that's
2: all. Oh, probably just one between because Perfect. they will fill up a space. And depending on which salvia, Which type, yeah. But yeah, I would just buy the punnet of them. You get eight in a punnet. Um, and depending on how many roses you might, well, oh, I'd no, put
6: I, the different colours in each pa- palette.
2: A lovely punnet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
6: Oh, good. Thanks, Margaret. It doesn't really matter what colours you have, but the red and the blue are the most important.
2: No, no, I wouldn't say that at all. Um, You know, I don't know. I I observe what goes on, so I like to give my advice from what I've experienced Mm -hmm. because a lot of this information isn't always out there. You can't find it unless, you know, people like Mike and Mandy are out there seeing this sort of stuff all the time. And, you know... Do you find, Mike and Mandy, that some of what you see isn't written about every day? Not documented. Lots Mm. of it is not documented. And Mm. I think, as Faye's saying,
4: if we all watch, it's not just scientists who are recording this sort of information. So if you notice things coming to particular plants in your garden, that may well be something that nobody has observed. So it really is worth noting down and and spreading that information because we can all help each other. Citizen science. Citizen yeah. sharing, science is sharing. vital. And mm. we have so many invertebrates in this mm. state that people haven't even described. Mm. You know, yes. there are there are new species probably right throughout the Perth area that have not yet been described. So mm. they may well be visiting your salvias between exactly. your rose bushes. Mm. Yes,
6: yes. Well, I have a papa mealand rose. Did, uh, uh, sorry, uh, um
4: Papa a Milan. deep red,
6: I yeah. was trying to say, a deep red that's nearly three metres high. Mm, that all. It, it gets well pruned. but um, um,
0: Anyway, Margaret, we have to move on, love. So,
6: why, so Sorry, I just was wanted to say that's why we need Faye and Curtin Radio with their garden show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we like your Thanks, answer. Margaret. Thanks, Margaret. <laughs> Bye right. for now. Cheers. Bye. And we're in Sterling. We're talking about a frangipani. Hi, Leslie.
12: Hi, there. there is Leslie here. Yes. Um, and oh, I'm a great believer in bringing all the birds and all the insects in. We've moved into Princeton and we've got rid of all our. our bird. We're on a corner. And in Princeton, there's. I think you'd be lucky to find some bees when we moved in.
0: Yeah, but I know the
12: bird. What we've done yeah. to our verge, mm. it's now. Just gorgeous bees everywhere, salvias everywhere. That's not what I've run up to speak about. But I'm listening to the
10: very mm. interesting
12: stuff about all the bees. Uh, my friend has um, a frangipani that we we dug it up out of our garden in Wembley Downs and gave it to them to her, and it went quite well. It's doing quite well. This is five years ago, so of course it's doing well by now. But all of a sudden, there's been this terrible, straight, almost enormous growth that's happened on the top of it, and these branches come out the top and all shooting in all different directions, and it's got these very fine leaves, leaves almost like like a cordyline, growing mad up the top of a frangipani. I've never seen it before. I don't know what the heck that is. I'm wondering if you ladies know and what we should do about it.
2: Well, because I wonder fall, if there's a and falling off. bug got into the top of it that's distorting the new growth.
12: Yes, that's what I said I thought it right. might be a bug. Ooh. So,
2: you know, a photo um, yes, getting I up there, having, mm. having a look yeah. for evidence of something and Unfortunately, Leslie, the damage may have been done. A lot of pests yes. have a cycle, so they'll been come in, mm. do their stuff, and then by the time you see the result of that, yes. there's nothing left to be seen. Uh, mm. But it, we may be able to get to the bottom of you know potential pests of frangipanis and the damage they cause, and then you might know for next year at the time what to do and when to do it.
12: Right here. Yeah. Do you think she should just cut some just cut some foliage off it, some branches off it?
2: Uh, if you could send us a photo, I would I be better able to judge that. But right. certainly, pruning to encourage or to get the shape that you want. Well, it's why we one of the reasons we prune.
12: We do it. Yes, mm. that's right. Um, that was my second thing. I've got this red frangipani at the back that we wasn't doing very well we cut branches off of when it was the right well when they were dormant and then we planted around out the front <laughs> and they've gone like maniacs they're growing everywhere so to the point mm. where where it, in such a degree in such a short time you know a couple of years i'm talking and it's you know taking over a footpath and doing all kinds of things so we're in the midst it's beautiful. It's Deep, deep red oh, and we're having to cut branches off that yeah. too, so.
2: stop it leslie you will make everyone <laughs> envious <laughs> <laughs> Radio right, yeah. and uh, thank you very much
12: ladies and yes we can't do without you with all all your gardening advice it's absolutely marvelous thank you very much indeed every saturday morning i'm here listening with my coffee oh, oh. thank you <laughs> lovely thank you i'll, I'll send you a photo right now so you thank can you. have a look at it. Fantastic. And um, we'll get on with it. Thank All you All right.
0: Very much. Thanks, Leslie. Bye. Bye. Cheers Bye. for that. And we're in Bedford with Betty. Good morning, Betty. How are you? Oh, well,
5: thank you. I'm not so good on my roses, though. I've had mm. that trouble with them. And yeah. I was talking to the, the lady in the unit next door, and she said, oh, that's going around everywhere.
0: Yes. So, uh,
5: so I, I went down to the little shop around the corner, a little nursery that's there, and I got went and told them what the problem was. And he gave me some spray to put on it, but I haven't had a, got around to doing it yet. I uh, was going to do it on Thursday, and I went out to do it, and it was all raining. So I thought, oh, well, i better leave off. But I have got a book on Gerberus, and I think I rang up before and uh, got a couple of people to come out and get some. Mm-hmm. But... Um, In the book that I've got, it tells you that roses and gerberas are companion plants. So, every deep between every rose, I've got growing gerberas, and they're flowering beautifully at the moment. Well, they do flower all year round, but at the moment, they're really lovely. But I just thought I'd let you know that. In the, in, in the book it says that gerberas are good companion plants to the roses. They oh, are
2: great together too. Don't Betty, mean. thank yes. you. And thank I, you. I remember when you rang us about your gerberas. Yes. You've certainly got the knack and, yes, um, yes you get but, very good results. Be yeah, careful. Found... Please no, be I careful have... Yes. what you spray your roses with because... Yes, I know. The gentleman at this little shop told me, uh, make sure you don't
5: get it on your other plants because will go. Like so I've got a lot of those empty bags that you get your manures in. I'm going to put them around when I spray. But I'm waiting for a, a still morning. And uh, the other morning, I looked out the little window that I've got and I could see there's no wind, so I thought I'd get up. By the time I got up, I went out to have a look and it was raining. I thought, oh, my goodness.
2: Well, you know anyway, what? The yeah. rain is is going thing. to be helpful because mm. thrips like a dry environment. So if you if you keep a lot of water around your roses, it will yes, also help. Yeah, um, I did prune
5: my roses down, but I think I've done it too much because I've cut quite a lot off them. I've got two of those great big bagfuls. I give them to my son. He's got an incinerator. And oh, good I girl. Have... And I get them to burn them. They told me to put them in the bin. And I thought, well, that's only spreading the disease. That's right. Someone told me it was a disease, not the wogs. But um, he said, I was talking to my my friend next door, and she said it's a disease going around Perth at the moment. So I thought, well, if you put it in the bin, it does because they make mulch out of it. What's going to happen with all the, you know, the the wongs in there? So I put it in bags. I'll give it to my son. He's got an incinerator.
0: Perfect. And I
5: gave him all that. I had uh, the the cis wasp in my uh, cap of lime, and I gave him all that because he said, oh, he said, I'll take it home and burn it for you. I said, well, it's only passing it on to somebody else. I don't know what they do with the stuff in the... uh, you know, when they collect it up, but I know they put it into mulch, so I thought, well that's only spreading it further.
0: You're very okay. smart, Betty. Thank you.
5: Oh, okay.
0: All right, love, we have to move on. Appreciate yeah. your call.
5: Thanks you very much. Okay, Bye. cheers. For Bye now. Betty. Bye. Love you show. Bye. Thank, Thank you, love. You.
0: Bye. And we're in Meriwa. We're saying good day to Ron. Good morning.
1: Good morning. How are you on this wonderful day? We're all fabulous. We're doing you. well, Ron. <laughs> I have got a lime tree that is healthy. Uh, it looks healthy, it's getting plenty of water, it's getting uh, our fertiliser when required, but it's not flowering or it's not uh, producing fruit. Uh, what the hell am I doing wrong?
2: <laughs> well, it depends, Ron. How old is your tree?
1: About
8: two and a half, three years.
2: Oh, there you go. It's a they can take three to five years to produce fruit. So you just keep doing what you're doing. It's... It's just a case of having a little bit of patience and waiting for your tree to grow up.
1: You realise patience is seldom found in a woman always in a man.
2: (gasps) Oh, (laughs) careful.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, so i just let it uh, uh, do whatever it
1: wants to do.
2: Yes, you're not necessarily doing anything wrong, wrong as long as it's got good sunshine, plenty of water, and you give it a nice feed and it looks healthy, you're doing okay. What's
8: the best feed for them?
2: Well, in springtime and autumn, I would give them a controlled release fertilizer for flowering and fruiting plants uh, and mulch it well because you're in Merriwa sandy soil. So just keep that moisture in the soil.
8: All right. Thank you very much.
2: You're welcome. Have a lovely day.
8: You have a good day too.
2: Thanks, Ron.
0: Cheers for that. And John of Murdoch phoned in and he has flowers on a mother-in-law tongue and he didn't know they flowered.
2: Yes. and
0: uh, Okay, and we have another comment there, but I will wait until the other side of this. You're with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening. Special guests in the studio, Mike and Mandy Bamford from Bamford Eco Consulting. And we're going to get stuck in with some, some, some good discussion about attracting birds into your garden. Just a couple of comments here. We have Maggie from Mandra, a blueberry bush. When and how much do you prune?
2: After flowering, like a lot of things, just to keep it tidy, remove any dead, mm. diseased, dying sticks. Uh, make sure nothing's crossing over and by giving it a light trim, you'll encourage bushier growth uh, and give it a, a light feed
0: as well. OK. And Jasmine of Safety Bay, her comment is that doves excrete seeds into other plants and she thinks that could be what's wrong with the frangipani, with the lady with the uh, unusual growth.
2: Well, it could be. When yeah. when we get the photo, we'll, we'll know, know a little bit more. Okay. So Mike and Mandy, let's get stuck into talking about habitat for birds and just imagine most of our listeners have already got a garden of some type. So let's help them recognise what they've already got as habitat and how they might improve it. Sure. No, that's a really good question. And
4: I think there's some really key things that birds really like. They like places that they can safely roost. So I think gardeners first instinct is to take out anything that's dead or dying mm. because we can't have that. We need to tidy everything looks, up. Looks looks untidy, yeah. yeah. But in mm-hmm. fact, the odd old dead branch or or you know even something that's a little bit scrappy, often there'll be loose bits of bark, there'll be insects and things underneath those and even just a nice place for birds to perch. So so just rethink your garden and those old dead pieces of wood because things use them and birds do really love an old branch to perch on. So that's a a really important point, I think. What else, Mike, do you think
3: is? Well, they they have to be able to find your garden. So Mm. what your neighbors are doing, how far away you are from a reserve, that's going to be important. Even the more mobile birds like to go from bush to bush or you know, 50 or 100 metres from one clump of trees to the next. So if there's some sort of linkage going on, that helps a lot. The, the current move in some councils to encourage or to put in street trees, which, I mean, I grew up in South Perth, an old suburb. All the streets had street trees. Yes. Their new suburbs, it was just too hard, too much hard work. And now we're going back to, let's have street trees because of all that cooling effect. Mm. It also has a good effect on birds because it gives mm. them a... a the street becomes a, a passageway for the birds as well. Yeah. So and I
4: guess, you know, even if you can't put trees, you can put maybe some aromophilus or little little low ground covers, some some hemiandra, some myoporum, some of those little creeping plants in, in even a pocket handkerchief of garden. If you can get your neighbours to do the same, then oh, you're yeah. making a corridor. <laughs> yep, yep. Even, I mean, we find people say, oh, but I've only got an apartment. If you've got a balcony or a, a little back, Courtyard, and you put a few natives in pots, the birds will find them.
2: Exactly.
4: We yes. we had a grevillea when we just moved into our place had nothing. We had a grevillea in a pot that was our one token native, mm. and we had a New Holland honey eater that found that found grevillea it. in a pot. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Mm. So they really it, anything they will find they'll use, mm. and it's just the more that you can sneak in, the and more it's that supplying
0: the right. Mm products for them to be drawn into the garden
4: it, it is that's right and as Faye mentioned earlier avoiding the use of sprays because mm. those sprays firstly they knock out a lot of the insects yeah. which they feed on yeah. but also some of those have toxicity effects for other animals so oh, yes. things like lizards which birds might feed on or the birds themselves pick up those toxins so the more natural your garden yeah. can be the better it'll be I mean we always say the more holes in your garden the better it is the better as, it is as, as oh ecologist. goody oh yeah. goody
0: my garden's holy.
4: thriving Absolutely, <laughs> and that's beautiful if you look at a holy leaf yeah. that's full of chew marks and interesting things that's almost the story of the leaf that will tell you all those little creatures that have lived mm. in your garden mm. a perfect leaf mm. just shows a desert as an ecologist you look at that and think there's something wrong yeah everything's too perfect in this garden and mm. either there's not enough habitat, there's something toxic, there's yeah. something that's stopping that life. So look at your garden as beautiful if there's just a few little chewed edges. I yeah, think.
0: you need mm. to look through different eyes. Mm, appreciate yeah.
3: that. Um, there are birds called partilotes. There's two species around Perth, striated and spotted. Striated pardalote is more common on the coastal plain. They're specialists in eating insects, um, sap-sucking insects called lerps that live on the leaves of eucalyptus. Yeah. But Native eucalypts, as in Mary, Jared, Tuart, they have lots of these lurps on them. The leaves look really damaged, but of course the pardalotes come and eat those those lerps. Uh, overseas or eastern states eucalypts often don't have the same abundance of, of lurps. I mean, pardalotes are great. They're pretty. They make a nice little noise. And if you're looking at encouraging them, they will also use small nest boxes. So they you get a problem with bees in small nest boxes, which happens with larger nest boxes. So you're creating nesting habitat. They nest in hollows. And it takes decades or centuries or hundreds to form naturally. So, in suburbs, putting in little nest boxes specifically—got that word out—for pardalotes uh, is just a great, and they're great fun to watch, aren't they, man? Mm. They are. We have them breeding in our garden. We have
4: three little nest boxes, all producing little pardalotes, mm. and they get quite bold. You know, they'll hop. We'll sit with a cup of tea mm. and watch them, and they'll hop across the veranda. Cheeky. Yep just mm. amazing and and that's and we're in the city we're not out in the bush mm. it's just a matter of providing what they need so yeah, yeah really really and it's such a lovely thing to do
2: mm. i wonder with the rose problems around at the moment you know causing stress to to gardeners mm. you don't get that with native plants do you you know you don't look out at flowering native plants in the same way that you might look out at damaged roses it's like a benefit and we don't get problems with the native plants that are flowering in gardens people don't ring in and say oh i've got this pest attacking it they kind of just don't Mm. but they'll bring in the birds and you know it's just wonder upon wonder it is and you know
4: you don't even have to be a purist because mm. we have a rose bush we have a rose bush that was given to us it yeah. has sentimental value yes it's got natives around it we actually get very few pests on that rose bush mm. because we've got lots of praying mantises we've got ladybirds we've got all those predatory native animals insects and other animals around it so in fact the roses do better because there's not a, it's a bit like having a farm. You know, if you've got a oh, farm yeah. of all the same species, like lots of roses, you're going to get lots of pests. If you've got a, a, a rose bush with some natives around it, then all those predatory things will come in and eat your bugs. And we certainly have seen um, pardalotes and, and silver eyes picking off the aphids mm-hmm. off our roses. So, yeah, it's
2: a, a little bit of balance is good, I think. So whereabouts do you live? We're in the northern suburbs. We're up in sort of Joondalup areas. So, so I'm going to ask you, and you've got time to think about this, how many birds might visit your garden? And I think we've got to have a break, don't we, Ray? So you've got a minute to think about that. We'll think about
0: it. And when we return, Bill has a question for you as well. Kitchen
11: Radio in
0: Perth. And we've got about 10 minutes to go, not even seven minutes to go really, of the gardening show. We're going straight to you again up. Bill, good morning.
9: Yeah. Thanks for
0: thanks waiting.
9: For the program. Yeah, no, Oh, thank you. And um, thanks very much for the program. It's very informative. It's great. Mike um, and Mandy, um, a couple of questions. Just You were just talking about bird boxes. And um, after the fire damage, there's been some bird boxes supplied to be put in a couple of the reserves. And um, I'm just wondering, what's the um, recommended height for different size boxes, large and small? And the second question I've got if you have uh, a pink and gray's um if they are taking up the hollows as well as corellas is because it seems to me that they're pushing out the 28s and that, and the red caps out of some of the hollows is it would you vote more for the pink and grays than the corellas or could you maybe give me an idea on what you think about that one?
3: oh that's that's I'm not going to vote for either of them. Any of them. Uh, <laughs> okay. it, it is an issue: the interaction of um, different bird species for things like a, a limited resource, like like nest hollows, and of course, corellas and the galahs, the pink and grey galahs, are they're sort of self-introduced. They've either the galahs have spread from further north with the agricultural clearing. A lot of the corellas are long-billed corellas that have descended from eastern states birds that were released some years ago. So. We, I guess we'd rather have red cap parrots and 28s, the ringnecks. They do, they do compete, so the more hollows out there, the better. They will sometimes timeshare, a bit like people do on holiday homes, where you'll get one, time one species will nest in a hollow, and when it's finished, another one will move in. So it's not a big disaster. It's just a matter of watching out for them, providing as many hollows as possible. As for the height, uh, it's sort of how long's your ladder? Um, the higher, the better. What?
9: <laughs> really okay so can i just maybe so we because we've already got some bird boxes up in one of the reserves and uh, so just say if we were to find a pink and gray in one box and some um 28s in another should we sort of like shoo away the pink and gray would you recommend
3: no no, no. <laughs> let, let, okay. let them alone give them another nest box the the 28s might take over the nest box after the galahs have finished same thing happens rainbow lorikeets just to throw in a bit of a wild card they probably haven't got to you yet they do no. ta- they do take up a lot of nesting hollows but even they will will time share with with other birds we've had galahs and, and lorikeets alternate in a nest box in our back garden uh one year the galahs got in and and actually, pull the lower key chicks out, which was a bit sad for the oh. key chicks. But that's nature. Nature's not nice to. No, it's you know, not. It's it's actually quite brutal. Yes. Um, but um, they will they will share as long as there's lots of the resource, and it's and we're the ones responsible for reducing the numbers of dead trees and tree hollows and such like. Yeah. So it's up to us to put more back in. Yeah,
4: and and we did a study a couple of years back looking at oh, yes. nest box use of different species. They were parrot boxes in a in a residential area. And in fact, the 28s, the ringnecks, were the ones who won out quite often. It was interesting because rainbow lorikeets, in fact, the everyone thinks that they must be going to take over. But in fact, the study that we were doing, the, the ringnecks were actually holding their own quite well. And in one nest box, I remember, I saw galah's ringnecks and... Rainbow lorikeets all visited, and actually, it was the ringnecks that nested there. So I think it's it is a balance. I think more is better, as Mike says. Yeah, and they're okay. all beautiful. <laughs> oh,
9: thank you. Yeah, no, I definitely. Thank you for that. But on just on the um, lorikeets, was there there seemed to be last summer. I haven't seen so much this year, but um, or it might have been spring. There was an influx of purple crown lorikeets up here in the hills, and I got told they were coming in from. Um, more inland and um, they, we've had a few um, rainbow lorikeets but hopefully I think some of the birds of prey take them out. Oh. Oops, Sorry. Power, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that but anyway thanks, thank you for your show. Thanks, thanks Bill.
0: Thanks Bill. Yeah. Thanks. No, just, just cheers for that. Okay and today's gardening program is sponsored by Safety Bay Settlements. Settling and transferring properties across WA since nineteen seventy seven. And there's a comment here, Faye Katie of Midland, a Jacaranda Tree next door flowering. And of course the comment is flowers in spring, but of course it's spot flowering, right?
2: Of course, because yeah. of Look at the, the rain. Like mm. the bushes come to life. The mm. there's another flush of flowers spurred on by the magnificent rain that we've had. Mm. Yeah, we've seen that there's a flush of insects like you get in spring because there's a flush of flowering. So And then with that there's been, like, flushes of birds. Absolutely. Yep, <laughs> yes. and the birds are turning up all over the place. So, Mandy, I asked you how many birds you would have in your suburban garden.
4: Yes, so we have, because we're those sort of people, we do keep a record. Good. And on a good day, we would count up to 18 species, which Gosh. Is, is, I mean, it's That's taken us. We've been there for 30 years. Taken the, it takes a while to it, build, right? Yeah, it it's does. It's not an overnight thing. No, it's no. not. And, and mm. the numbers have changed. You know, we used to have pippets in our garden. Now we have... Um, you know, uh, birds that like big, big canopy like uh, pardalotes and things like that. But overall, We've got up to, I think it's 85 species, is it Mike?
3: I think it's 85 in total. That, that includes random things like a, a sea eagle that flew overhead one day.
4: Mike. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Mike has a very, anything immediately over yes, our place. It yes. counts. It's 100 metres up. Yes, that's, that's, that's it. it. Yep.
3: Yep. But yep. being scientists, we've actually kept records for 30 years. So in the early days, we would get two or three species a day. Now we get, I think our best is 26 species in one day, but 18 is sort of long-term average.
2: So that's interesting because I wondered if... If looking back in time, you know, we've actually dropped our numbers. But if you only started with two or three, things are really on the up. Things
3: are looking good. But there has been some impact. We have to actually write this up and, and publish it, of course, because the story of the garden over 30 years and the birds. There's been a loss of some species due to clearing nearby. There's been loss of plants, trees in the general suburb. Not from infill or anything like that, but just from one person after another thinking, "Oh, that tree drops leaves in my gutters i 'm going to cut it down. I want a double driveway i 'll cut that tree down mm. one tree after another mm. and we've actually got um, satellite imagery that shows the decline of green cover in an established suburb with no change in urban density but just loss of trees due to people management.
2: yes I agree I would like to put the challenge out to our listeners to let us know what their bird species alike. Mm. I'm sure there's people out there like us that, you know, take photos of birds in their gardens. So uh, in the coming weeks, I'd love to hear from people who might even start to take notice of the birds that visit their garden. That's it. And Mm. and of
4: course, the more people who do Mm. look at that, the more birds will move into the suburbs. The more great gardens for birds, the more birds will have right throughout the city. Fantastic. If people wanted to get in contact with you,
0: Bamford Eco Consulting is your name? Uh, yeah, Bamford Consulting Ecologists. Bam- okay, yeah, but- Bamford Consulting Ecologists. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both very much for coming oh, in for sure. and sharing your uh, fabulous information with us. And we have Bev Daring and John Glidden and Faye Thanks, you guys. Um, Jim Cronin, sitting on my right-hand side, Classic 70s coming up next. He will take you through to... 12 noon, then we go country with Brendan T and Born in Boots. And my gardenism for today is there are no happier folks than plant lovers and none more generous than those who garden. How true is that? Have a great weekend, everyone. Happy gardening. We will be back next Saturday. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.